This reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him from ruling over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have chosen a king for myself from among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears that he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And you will anoint for me him whom I tell to you. Samuel did that which the Lord spoke and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, I have come in peace to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the anointed of the Lord is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your young men? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, shepherding the flock. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a good appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came on David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. In our second scripture lesson are some words of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into the pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, 
Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to settle in upon our hearts and our minds. As we hear these scriptures read and proclaimed, fix them in our hearts, that we might live them in our lives and carry them with us always. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in keeping with our Lenten theme, today we confess that we judge others. Uh, Usually I quote from John Wesley, being a, a Methodist, but this morning I want to start you with a quote from John Calvin that I found this week. He said about these words, judge not so you will not be judged. These words of Christ do not contain an absolute prohibition from judging, but are intended to cure a disease which appears to be natural to us all. The disease of judging others. So I confess, I judge others. Sometimes I do it pretty quickly and even from a distance. It's easy, watch. Like this group of people. (laughs) Clearly they're lazy. They've made some poor life choices. I can tell they probably won't amount to much of anything in their lives. They'll probably just be a drain on society, if you know what I mean. I can even tell that one on the right is probably mean to puppies and little old ladies. I mean, try it though, watch. Now this group of fine young people, future doctors and lawyers in this group, you can see them, upstanding citizens, clearly intelligent, good-looking, an excellent group of people, right? Sometimes we do judge others pretty quickly. We often do it by the groups that we can place them in, right? But judging others in this way removes their humanity. It relieves us of our obligation to know them as an individual, to treat them as a real person, like we might with a friend or a family member. We simply know that they are part of that group. That group might be their religion. Maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're Presbyterian. We can judge them by their economic status. Rich people always do this. Poor people always do that. We know if they're an immigrant right, or not. We can even judge people based on the bumper stickers that they've chosen to affix to their vehicle. I get pretty judgy when I'm stuck in traffic. I don't know about you. We judge people quickly every day, don't we? based on the car they drive up in, how they're dressed, how they speak, whether or not we can see any tattoos on them. But our Old Testament story gives us a caution. Samuel goes out in the story to anoint the new king of Israel, just as he had done years before for Saul. Do you know why they picked Saul to be king? It's based on two attributes that the Bible tells us when Saul is anointed. 
He was the tallest and he was the best looking. Great way to pick a leader, right? But Saul goes in to pick David. And the Lord says this, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I have learned over the years that even though I like to judge others, I'm not particularly good at it. You know, you can take those external markers, you know, knowing which political party somebody affiliates with. You think you know a lot about them, but it turns out if you get to know them, people are pretty complex, right? They don't always fit in all the boxes that we thought they did at first. People outside of the church often assume that we are judging them. I don't know how we've projected this out into the world, but it seems to be our reputation. I was listening to an NPR guest this week who was talking about how her four-year-old was judging her about something in her life, and she said this, well, we have been sending him to a Lutheran preschool, so who knows what they've been teaching him there. So how do we discern between having good judgment and being judgy. As I was preparing this sermon this week on judge not lest ye be judged, Brookie has been ending up the marking period and preparing her grades. As an art teacher, she's been looking at students' work and their artwork especially and deciding what was good, what was bad. Many of you have jobs where you've trained and studied to have professional, informed opinions. It's your job to make judgment calls. One of my old carpool buddies from up in northern Pennsylvania was literally a judge, the, the president judge of Wayne County. He just retired after 20 years on the bench there. I can remember asking him one time, how does a judge read this passage? And he said, very carefully. But he also told me that as his courtroom grew and he added a second and a third judge whom he was in charge of in Wayne County, he decided that he would take all of the family court cases himself. He told me those were always the most difficult decisions. And he realized that his choices would have an impact on the children that stood before him, on their parents, on the next generation even. And he judged them very carefully, knowing that the measure you give is the measure you get. Our criminal justice system has been in the news a lot for the last couple of weeks, asking important questions, whether or not justice is the same for the rich and famous as it is for you and me, whether it's the same for you and me as it is for a poor person or someone from a minority group. Our justice system on the whole is arranged to be pretty punitive. I often hear people complain how nice it must be to be in prison, you know, 
Three square meals a day, free clothing, free medical care. You get to watch cable all day. Anytime somebody tells me that, I know they have never been to Dauphin County Prison. Once you've been inside, that, that picture in your mind just won't hold up anymore. I also learned this week that the early Christian monasteries served as prisons in the Middle Ages, something I had not learned in church history class. When someone committed a crime in those days, they would go off to live with the monks. They would be locked in their room at night like a cell, but first thing in the morning, their doors would be unlocked, and the prisoners would join with the monks in early morning prayer. Then they would work alongside the monks all day each day, they would pray with them every time it was time to pray. They would eat with them every time it was time to have a meal. We often think today of prison as paying your debt to society. But the church historian Andrew Scott Nicky says, Monastic prisons, by contrast, had a restorative purpose based on the conviction that the incarcerated needed no additional suffering. It is also based on the certainty that silence Solitude, prayer, work, and spiritual counsel are the soul's great healers. Can you imagine if our world still worked that way today? The measure you give is the measure you get. That's what Jesus says. And that's a big deal in the ancient world, right? Because every transaction you had with some other merchant, everybody had their own set of weights and measures. Now today, we have government accountability for that. Someone goes and checks to make sure that when you pump a gallon of gas into your car, you really get four quarts worth. Someone else checks to make sure every time you buy a, a pound of bananas at the grocery store that you really got 16 ounces worth. But Jesus says this is also true in a spiritual sense. The measure you give is the measure you get. How you treat others is how you will be treated. And then Jesus calls us out. For all those times when the standards we have for others don't seem to apply to us. He calls us to take the log out of our own eye before noticing the speck in our neighbors. Nothing worse than that, is there? When you go in to see your doctor and realize that he smokes two packs a day, right? Or you're driving down the highway and some off-duty cop flies by you. Or you're teaching a bunch of teachers and they come into class and they haven't done their homework. I know as a parent, the times when my kids frustrate me the most is when they act just like me, right? What if the measure we use is the measure we get? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, if gaining God's forgiveness is going to depend on how well I am able to forgive others, I'm probably in trouble. So really, this passage at its heart must be about something a little bit different. About how we respond 
to what God has already done for us in Christ. This passage, we think, is about not judging others lest we be judged. But really, it starts out with the command to be merciful, like your Father is merciful to you. This passage is not about judging others, but about loving them. Loving them with the kind of love God has for us. A wholehearted, unreserved, unconditional love. Where nothing is held back and there's no hesitation. No calculation of cost versus benefit. No expectation of receiving anything in return. The kind of love that doesn't consider what the payoff might be. Friends, when we realize that this is how God loves us, then then we are called to love others in this same incredible way. And as as we learn to love with this kind of love, I believe this disease that is natural to us all, the judginess, that seems to be baked into us, will be cured by God's great love working in us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, I invite you now to find page 472 in the hymnal. Please stand and we'll sing together near to the heart of God.